turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. I have uh, the passage there on your outline. I did add a few verses at the beginning from last week to remind us where we've come from in the text, and then it launches us into the next section. As you know, when Paul wrote this, it was one big letter. It wasn't chapters and verses. We just did that to help us find our place. And sometimes the divisions break up thoughts, and that's certainly uh, always happening in letters, and we have it happening here. Because the first verse in chapter 3, you really have to know what just came before it. In Ephesians 1, we have a celebration of the sovereign act of God to save a people for himself. Individual believers called himself out of deadness into life, made alive together in Christ. Then it shifts to the corporate salvation of the people of God and the church. And that's where we have just been in chapter 2. And then it ends in chapter 2 with God giving, or Paul giving a metaphor of God's people, the church. Talks of us as the kingdom of God. Uh, we're citizens of that kingdom. Then also talks of us as a household. We're a family. These are all true. And it, it culminates with this last metaphor where we're a building that God's making with living stones, individual Christians. Um, we're God's house. We are God's holy temple. No longer an earthly temple to point to get people to God, but the people of God, you Christians, everyone, even the youngest of you who believe in Jesus uh, to the oldest. Together, we are God's holy temple. It doesn't matter where we are, what building we're in. If we're outside, we're inside, we're in another part of the world. Where God's people are, God is building his holy temple, and his presence is there. And people can look to the church, to God's temple, to know with clarity how they can be right with God through Christ. So this is the culmination. Now we come to chapter 3, and what Paul's going to do is tell us how this works itself out, how God does this how God is determined to advance his kingdom through his people. And one of the ways God does this is by calling the apostles to their ministry of giving us the word of God that we now live, live according to, uh, we feed on. Well, in those days, Paul's giving the word of God at those moments as an apostle, bringing fulfillment to what was forecasted before. So follow as I read God's holy word, Ephesians Two, I'll start at verse 19, then read to verse 7 of chapter 3. This is God's inspired and inerrant and authoritative word. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Please bow together with me as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your holy word. 
We're thankful for the ministry of the apostles and the prophets that you commissioned and superintended over their work so that we would have accurately your word. We are thankful for the good news of your word and how it declares it to us and for the explanation it gives concerning your plans for the ages. Your gospel encourages us and gives us hope and joy. Lord, give us understanding as we give a closer look to this passage. And may we see its application in our life, that it's realized in our life, that we not only learn what's true, but what to do. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not trying to complicate the explanation of this passage by saying that the passage is essentially about the apostolic stewardship of God's grace. In other words, God gives the message of God's grace in Christ to the apostles to safeguard, to be custodians of, in their time, by His Spirit, so that we can then have that message in the ages that come after. It's a stewardship of God's grace on display in the apostles, and Paul in particular. Now, that will be a baton handed to us, the church, not to continue to write Scripture, but to safeguard it and to be custodians of it, to be careful to perpetuate its message, to make sure people know it, that we are aware and familiar with it. So it's something that begins in what God does by His Spirit in inspiring the authors of Scripture to write His Word, and then overseas it's being inscripturated or put to pen, and then we now have the Spirit of God working with the Word of God to help us understand it, to live according to Him, and proclaim the message. So Paul in chapter 3 is encouraging the people who are under great duress uh, that this message they have received that people might be questioning in their lives, remember it comes from God and he's ordained apostles and prophets to give it, to give clarity about Christ, to give clarity about how the Gentiles are now wholly one with the Jews in Christ. Uh, These mysteries before now are revealed by God's spirit of prophecy through the apostles. This would give encouragement to them when they're starting to doubt things. When Everything's changing around them. Pressure's coming upon them. To be sure of God's word through the apostles is a powerful thing for the people of God in all ages. And it will be for us too. I'll tell you ahead of time, one of my hopes and desires uh, from this sermon is that as we consider again God's work through the apostle Paul, the apostles in general, what he delivers in the Bible, that just a little bit, we would be nudged just a little further towards more time in the Word. I don't want it to come off a, as a, you got to go read more of the Bible or God'll, so that God will love you more, or you won't be so bad if you do, or you're so undisciplined, you better go. None of that is what I think is meant to be on display here. When you see what the Bible is, when you see the apostolic Word, it will necessarily prompt you to want to be in it more. Find out what it says what it tells us, especially when times are, are rough or changing, which is usually most of the time. We become firmer about God's grip on these things, his angle on things, what he would have us to do. Notice how verse 22 at the end of chapter 2 molds right into verse 1. In him, Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, the Spirit's work in making us his people. God's building his church. In the next verse, verse 1, for this reason, for the building of the church, for this work of Christ realized in you, the people of God, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. I'm in prison now writing and ministering for you in the growth of you Gentiles who I just told you are now part of God's kingdom, his family, his temple. 
assuming, verse 2 in our passage, that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul's saying, I am here for the purpose of further building you up, to give you more clarity about how you are now part of the people of God. Paul says, I was called for the purpose of strengthening the church. God gave me a special stewardship of his grace. And what we are witnessing of Paul's ministry in his letter is now deposited to us in the scriptures. So we have Paul's apostolic ministry on record, as well as the whole of the apostles and the prophets, and ultimately the ultimate prophet, Jesus himself, the one who is not just the prophet, he's the one who gives himself as the sacrifice as well. God's commissioning and equipping apostles and prophets should give all of us deeper confidence that he is going to do the work he says in building his church. God's determined to do what he says. We know it because he puts the apostles on this to safeguard this message. In a loose illustration, a long time ago, I worked in a warehouse. I basically pulled orders, stock shelves, loaded trucks, unloaded trucks, packed things, did this for my summer uh, work, and sometimes I got started earlier in spring uh, for many years. Uh, it, was a, it was a school supply warehouse. And being in western New York, Niagara Falls area, we supplied into Canada and into the East Coast as well. And so there were, it was a huge warehouse of school supplies. And in the summer months, it was impossibly busy, it felt like, especially in June and July. One year in particular, uh, there was no humanly possible way that we could get all the orders filled, thousands of orders, and there were only, what it felt like to me, just be dozens of workers getting these orders. And so uh, our boss got us together and gave us a big pep talk about how uh, we're getting behind everybody and we want you to work faster and longer. Now, we liked our bosses. It was a good work environment. The company was a solid company. It just was the nature of the business that it would be brutal for that time frame. But this year, we felt a bit hopeless. You would go to, it was pre-digital, uh, you go to the stack of orders, and I mean they're this tall, and it, there's no way even in one 8-hour to 10-hour to 12-hour shift, you would break down a third of that and the next day be back on the top. But our boss was just giving us this, this rousing speech about it. We're going to do this. We're going to, make, we're going to break a record that we've never done as a company, and we're going to make this happen. I know he was determined, but I didn't see how it was possible. Within a couple days, though, something happened that was very noticeable to the rank-and-file workers among us. Suddenly, our boss took off his tie, literally, and he was out pulling orders with us. And within a couple days after that, all the people in the office that we didn't know really what they did but they drove a lot better cars than us, and they looked nicer than we did. And they all came out too, and they started pulling orders. Even the president and the vice presidents were out pulling the orders. We knew they were serious about getting this done when they came out, and they themselves helped. When God says he's building his people, he's building his church, one of the ways we know he's determined to advance that plan is when he gave us the apostles and the prophets. He didn't just give us some crackpots out there dreaming up stuff. He gave us generations of prophets and apostles spanning years, not always connected with the same message, with the same story laying out over the course of centuries. In the clarity, like Paul says to the Ephesians, you can perceive when I'm saying this that this is God's word. Uh, We know because God substantiates the apostles and the prophets by what they did, how they proved they were God's mouthpieces. Knowing that God has given these apostles, given the prophets, we have the Bible. It should get every, give everyone here 
surety that God will do this work. We shouldn't worry about what it may seem like in the world at times. Know that God is determined to advance his gospel, and he'll do it through his word, working with the Spirit, and growing his people, his church, the temple, his temple. So people will look at it and know that he is God. This should give us focus on the simplicity of trusting in the power of the ministry of the word. This is always the way God has grown his church. It's through the ministry of the proclamation of his word, not just proclaiming it, when you proclaim it, because it, the spirit of God works with the, the Bible, we change. We're different people. We come to Christ and we grow in Christ. So this is how God proves his determination. He gives us his word through the apostles. And Paul is trying to encourage that original audience with just this notion. Paul's apostolic ministry displays God's determination to advance the gospel of Christ through his church. In Paul's description, now looking in verses 1 through 7 of this opening section of chapter 3, we see that the message of the gospel itself, the apostolic message, is a safeguarded message just by virtue of how God gives it through the apostles. It's, it's being protected by God, preserved by God. The apostles are custodians of this message. Just the divine safeguard of the message should give us surety that God's determined to advance his kingdom. He protects it, no matter what people try to do to assail it. It never works. Critics come and go, but it still stands. Second, we'll see the message itself is divinely declared, divinely revealed. It's not invented by people. You could not invent the gospel message. A man could not come up with it. It's clearly given by God, revealed by his spirit. It's a divinely revealed message. Finally, and simply leading into the rest of chapter 3, but we'll start this week is verse 7 when it talks to us in a consistent tone about this term, the gospel. It's divinely safeguarded, it's divinely revealed, and it's divinely consistent. How you can have so many voices come together in the Word of God to give the same instruction about how sinful man, sinful woman, could be right with a holy God through Christ. Consistent message through and through. That's how we are so assured about what God is determined to do. Let's look at how this message is safeguarded first in the first two verses of the passage. A divinely safeguarded message. Just how he uses the apostle and the way the apostle views himself in bringing this message. Verse 1. For this reason, for the building of the church, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now pause for a moment and realize, where is Paul when he's writing this? He is, in, he is under Roman lock and key. He has no doubt at least one guard watching over him. He's got at least one chain on him. And he's there dictating or writing a letter, probably dictating a letter to someone, and the the guard's listening. And imagine the guard listening to Paul speak, describing himself. I, Paul, a prisoner, not of Caesar, not of Nero. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. God has ordained that I would be in this spot. This isn't a mistake. It's not a hindrance to the message that I'm here to give. God has put me in this prison. I am a prisoner of Christ. I am a prisoner for Christ. God is divinely ordained and superintended over Paul being here to write this letter to the Ephesians. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Many of the Ephesians knew him because he ministered in person for over almost three years. Others probably had just heard. He's assuming they had heard by now who he was 
in the message he was given to Stuart. Those who knew him already understood his apostolic office, but he's writing back to a group he's been gone from for a little while. And he says, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. So God the Father gives, by commission of the Son, the message to the Apostle Paul as a stewardship. And a stewardship is something you safeguard, you protect, you take care of. You make sure it gets to where it belongs. He's a steward of this. That's a divine stewardship with God's divine power. And it's by the Holy Spirit that he's able to be Christ's prisoner in this way with the Word of God, armed with the Word of God. He calls himself several things. He calls himself a slave of Christ in another portion of Scripture, a bondservant of Christ, and here a a prisoner for Christ. He safeguards as God's divine instrument God's divine message. And we can have assurance that the Bible you have in your hands, that you read on a regular basis, that's from God, and it's delivered to you that way. I want you also to notice that Paul understood his role as an apostle. And he understood this because when he met Jesus for the first time, he was commissioned in a special and amazing way. He was blind for a time, but then given his sight back through Ananias. And that God told Ananias something about Paul that now resonates in the passage we're reading. In Acts chapter 9, But the Lord said to him, Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument, Paul, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Exactly what he was doing. To carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul understood his suffering was part of his being an apostle, being a steward. It reminded him that he was not his own, that he was God's instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Verse 3 of our passage. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So he's talking about the fact that God himself has revealed his word to him. That's what the apostles did. That's what the prophets did. That's the difference between myself and a prophet or you and a prophet and apostle. I don't speak by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now we speak concerning that which is inspired by the Holy Spirit, his word, and we depend on the Holy Spirit of God to activate it in our lives. This is the effect of the preaching of the word. But the writing of the word, that's what he called the apostles and the prophets to do and to safeguard it so that we would have it. And him doing this shows us God's determination to perpetuate his kingdom, to grow his family, to build his temple. Paul's apostolic ministry displays this for sure. Paul gives, has a stewardship that's given to him. Charles Hodge said Paul's... Paul esteemed the office of a messenger of Christ as a manifestation of the undeserved kindness of God toward him. He recognized himself as a messenger, just like a military messenger in antiquity. Not so much modern warfare, where there's electronic means and other ways in which uh, messengers can bring their, or get their message to somebody. But in the old, old days, um, there would literally be messengers that had to run across land carrying a message from one general to another general to tell them the moves of the enemy. And the enemy would try to kill the messenger because they knew if that messenger got to the other person with the message, they would be in trouble. It was crucial what, that, what was going to be given to them as a message. A messenger guards the message with his life because it means life and death. And Paul saw himself in this way. And Paul gives 
this mantle, this commission to the apostle and the other apostles so that we would receive God's word untainted. God doing it this way gives us great confidence in the message we have. It's divinely safeguarded. Now, at the same time, I want you to see in verse 2 and verse 3, beginning there anyways, that the message was divinely revealed. The message Paul got wasn't just something he came up with and God said, no, that's a good message, Paul. Why don't you go with it? No, not only does he divinely safeguard the message, it's his message. It's God's message given to Paul. Paul's a mouthpiece for it. And Paul had every reason to not give that message. He was raised in the greatest schooling system for Judaism there ever was. Had one of the greatest mentors of that generation be his personal mentor. And he walks away from it to go to Christ of Nazareth. Why is this? Because it's God's delivered message. God reveals this message. Not because it was easier for him or even that it would make sense at first, but because it's a divinely revealed message. Paul has no choice. It grips him by the Spirit and he becomes a messenger, an apostle for it. Verse 2, he's he's describing the message or how he has received this mantle. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So God's doing this. Verse 3, What's given to him? How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So the knowledge Paul has that he passes to the Ephesians and to us is not something he conjured. It was given to him by revelation. It was revealed to him by God. So what we have from the apostle is God's word. It was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written. So he's talking about the first chapter and a half already. I've already written you a bit. This is God's revelation that I'm giving you. And God made known to me. So we can have confidence that God is determined to grow his kingdom because he reveals what we could not know otherwise, and he does through, through the, so through the apostles and the prophets. Verse 4, Paul is saying something not in a braggadocious way. He's saying it to, say, to just call them to account and recognize. When you read this, verse 4, You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. When you read it, when the people of God read it, the Holy Spirit testifies to it. This is the word of God. This is not just, we know Paul personally, and he doesn't always talk like this. But this letter you're holding, Paul's saying, this is God's word revealed to me. And you know it. You perceive it. You perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So it's a divinely revealed message that we have in our hands in the scriptures. And Paul's talking in this case, about this letter to the Ephesians. Revelation, the revealing. Carl Henry is one of the great evangelical scholars of all time. Uh, He wrote in the last century, and he wrote extensively on how God reveals his will to us by his word. He writes a six-volume series called God, Revelation, and Authority. And it took me a long time to read through it. It was worth it. it. It deepened my appreciation for what the Bible is, the revelation of God, and why, because it's from God, it has necessary authority, and it's necessary for us to even know God. Listen to what Henry wrote in just a small little quotation from that series. Henry said, revelation is that activity of the supernatural God whereby he communicates information essential for man's present and future destiny. God shares his thought with man In this self-disclosure, God unveils his very own mind. He communicates not only the truth about himself and his intentions, but also that concerning man's present plight and future prospects. God, by his Spirit, 
And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the inspiration of the Scripture, that by His Spirit, He moves in human authors or moved in human authors to pen exactly His will that would be put to pen and kept for the ages. Uh, That's the process of inspiration that God does, and He does in Paul when Paul writes this passage. It's not inspiration when we say, I read the Bible and I'm inspired to go do something for God. That's not what we mean when we talk about the inspiration of Scripture. We mean something about the Scripture itself being penned by God himself, by his Spirit. This is what Paul is referring to in part when he says, the mystery that was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, let's analyze for a moment together, what is the specific mystery here? Now, Paul uses the word mystery over 20 times in his writings, 20 different times in his epistles, and three times in this section we're looking at. So he's talking about a mystery that God reveals by revelation or gives him revelation so he understands what it is. Today, when we talk about mystery as Americans, I usually think of like a mystery novel or a mystery, something dark and secretive that we might not find out the answer to. It could be something sinister even. It's mysterious. We don't know or it's secret or someone's trying to keep something from us to work something over on us. And we think of mystery oftentimes in that way. But that's not what Paul means when he uses the word mysterion. Mysterion here in its biblical usage has to do with something that is purposely veiled, but then the veil is taken away something that you can't know the fullness of until interpretation's given to it. It's meant to be known, but it can't be known by our own faculties. It's a mystery that needs a revealing. And Paul is saying that the revelation God gives reveals a certain mystery. What is the mystery? Well, we have come to know this through this passage in particular. Verse 5 which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, this mystery, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. To this point, God had revealed much about himself. He had revealed how to be right with him. If you had the Old Testament, and that's all you had, the Spirit of God, working with the Old Testament revelation, would make clear that you were a sinner and that the only way you could be right with God is by faith in the Redeemer that God will send. Salvation has always been by faith in the Redeemer and the Redeemer's finished work. The work just was not yet done looking forward, and now we look back at the finished work of Jesus. That's always been true. The mystery Paul's revealing, though, is something of what God is doing in calling people to salvation. It had been known that the Israelites would be a blessing to the nations. What had not been known is that there would eventually only be one identifiable people of God. It would not matter if you were Jew or Gentile, which is great news for all of us, most of us, I would assume. It's not just focused on the people of God, the Jews. It's one people of God. There's one people of God on this earth. There are two peoples of God in, in total, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That's the earth. Those are the two races. And this is this great mystery he reveals to a very divided place. If you think we're divided today, in the first century, they were just as, if not more, divided. It was very vivid on your class or who you were identified with, all numbers of boundaries and identities. But the great mystery is that Christ, people in Christ, united to Christ, there's a double union. We're united to Christ, and now we're united to everybody else who's united to Christ. 
This is the great mystery that is revealed. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's a beautiful revelation about what God has intended in his redemption. One commentator notes about Paul and the way Paul's speaking here. Paul is not boasting about his knowledge as if he were ultimately responsible for any of this. He is simply saying that the teaching he now sets before them came to him by God's gracious revelatory activity and is asking them to judge for themselves the validity of his claim. We see that the apostolic word is a word that has been divinely revealed to the apostle. This gives us confidence in what we have in that God is going to fulfill the building of his holy temple, his church. The Bible is a beautiful story that unfolds with complexities and simplicity. Uh, every so often, it happened again, and I couldn't join them, but my boys watched, started watching again last night the extended version of The Lord of the Rings. And they always do it on a Saturday, and Saturdays are not good days for me. Uh, they're generally not uh, very restful. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, and I can't watch a movie at night, especially one like that. But what's so great about that is the big story, the redemptive story that Tolkien wrote in his books and then was brought to film. And then the extended version is like really extended. If you've not seen it, it is really extended. And it's a beautiful picture that is all these details that come together for a big picture. And while you're watching it because you've seen it before, you, the little, little pieces are even better because you know how they fill in. So the first time you read it or you watch it, you're amazed at how this all comes together. The second time, you pick up more details. The third time, more. The fourth and so forth and so on. And that's just a film based in a book by a very talented human author, but not God himself in that sense. What we have in the scripture, however, once you read it the first time or come to understand what it's teaching and communicating, it's magnificent. We come to know the gospel, how we can be right with God through Christ. That big picture. But then when we go through it again and again and again, the details become more crystal clear and more beautiful, more precious, and we want to spend more time in this. Paul says this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Carl Henry, who I referred to earlier, I wish I could quote him more, but again, it was six volumes long, so I'll keep it to this quote. God's purpose and revelation is that we may know him personally as he is. That's why he reveals himself. That we may avail ourselves of his gracious forgiveness and offer of new life in Christ. And that we may escape catastrophic judgment for our sins and venture venture personal fellowship with him. And this beautiful mystery that it's now open to the Gentiles is given to the Ephesians in this time frame and it's a cause of great joy but great stability and confidence too. Paul's apostolic ministry that he's speaking of in these verses displays God's determination to advance the gospel of Christ through his church. Finally, I want you to know in verse 7, or see in verse 7, something that will lead into the the content to follow in the verses that follow. But something else that gives us encouragement about God's determination is the divinely consistent message that we will read. Now, we take for granted consistency of message, I think, Maybe not so much these days. 
You'll have a doctor say one thing one day and something completely different the next. You'll have a politician say something one day and something completely different the next. And we have the beauty of these clips to keep seeing it. And they could say that they're not changing, but we can put them side by side and see it. You'll find that in school, you may have a professor who will say one thing on one day and it'll be different later. Consistency of message is rare. And normally that's because as human beings, we're wrong a lot. But the consistency of the gospel thread through the whole of the scripture is an amazing attestation to its divine origin. The fact that you can have a string of dozens of authors over the course of many centuries, 66 books, still give you the same drumbeat of gospel clarity about how we're right with God through Christ, it's a testimony to the divine authorship. The reason why that many authors can write the same thing is because there's really only one author. It's the Spirit of God who's writing this message. And Paul is called by that Spirit. And we can check him according to the message that all the gospel writers, all the biblical writers are giving. Verse 7, Paul says, of this gospel, and this is a lead into the next section that we'll come to next week by God's grace. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. This is the divinely revealed message, and it's a divinely consistent message because it's given to him by the Spirit of God. Back when Paul started his ministry, one of the first letters, probably the first letter he wrote, was to the Galatian church, a church he visited on his first journey, and he's writing a letter to them. And in that letter, he says, grace and peace to you, Galatians, from God and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Clarity about the gospel message in his earliest of letters. Later, he's writing some 10 years later, maybe a little more. He writes to the Corinthians, another church he had gone and helped to plant. He says to the Corinthians, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. We should look for a similar message which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. You were faking. You didn't really believe it. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Consistency of the gospel message coming through the apostolic ministry, it makes sense. It's the Spirit of God who unites. It's the message that comes from God, and the Spirit of God makes sure that it stays true. He writes in Ephesians earlier, so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Paul's consistent message of the gospel is because he's commissioned by the Spirit and the message is stayed consistent because of God's work. Verse 7 of our passage in Ephesians 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The absolute consistency of the message of salvation in Christ is a marker of God's determination to advance the gospel of Christ through his church. This gospel that I'm preaching should be the same gospel as what the scripture says it is, and then it should be the same gospel that somebody, Lord willing, and by his grace, will preach 50 years from now from this, this pulpit. And if they don't, I hope there's no pulpit left. 
because this is the consistent message that gives every generation its hope, and this is the message that is always needed against any backdrop that we might find ourselves against. Paul's apostolic ministry displays God's determination to advance the gospel. And his apostolic ministry, brothers and sisters, is found in the pages of Scripture. This is how we have what God desires of us, what he tells us, what, he, what he's doing for us, his promises to us, his assurances to us. We need this badly, just like the Ephesians were waiting. They missed Paul when he left. They, they had copies of the Old Testament, the synagogues. Many of these were Gentile believers who didn't know much of the Old Testament, only what had been preached. They didn't have copies for themselves. They're waiting. A year goes by. Uh, two years goes by. When are we going to hear from Paul? They get the letter from Paul. They're sitting around that letter. Do you think that they were reading that letter every day? I guarantee they were. Well, what did Paul say? Tell us again what he said. We need to know this. Here we are in Ephesus. There's the temple of Diana. There's all this word against everything we believe. Tell us why this is true. And Paul says, remember, this is what I preached to you. Remember, this is what is true. This is what you know is true. Be positive of this. You know how God delivered this. And he assures them because they get back into the word. It doesn't just sit on their shelf. It comes to them and they read it. And that would be the great outcome of this reflection today for all of us to be just a bit more in tune with what we actually have in the word of God on our, in our laps, in our devices, on our shelf, wherever it is that you get exposure to it. I was thinking about all the ways I could illustrate this. So many In so many ways, and usually they're negative in my life about a lack of discipline that shows you I waited too long, and then when I needed it, I really wasn't ready for it. Uh, Last year was my 30th uh, high school reunion. I graduated when I was 11. Anyways, 30 years ago, I graduated from high school, 31 now, and I was preparing to go go on that trip about a year before when I got the notice. I thought to myself, man, I sure would like to lose some weight before I got there. I think everybody thinks that when they go to a reunion. I thought it a couple more times, but that was about it. And then the time came and went, and I did not change a bit. Now, gladly, I had more hair than most people, but probably more weight too. You think of something that's coming, and you know what you need to do, but you just don't do it, right? Sometimes financial planners, they'll have you in and they'll show you. Now, nowadays, they'll put on a screen like what you need to save if you're going to be able to retire or work less at a certain time, and they put the date out here, and then they tell you, this dollar amount has to be saved or put away each month, and it has to be put in this kind of account. And that makes sense. Like, there it is. Sure. And then you put away that plan, and you don't think about what you need to do to be prepared for that day that's going to come. You have the knowledge. You just don't pay attention to it or follow it. Most recently, this is the most vivid illustration I could think of in in our day. Um, Before the COVID pandemic started, uh, I want to say in the start of the new year, I think, when it was, is when it was. As a pastor, you'll get people who love you in the church, and they'll give you advice on all sorts of stuff, health stuff all the time, all sorts of angles on health stuff. And sometimes I listen, sometimes I'm like, this is going to happen. It just depends. But I remember hearing from someone who, I, who had gone through a sickness and gotten better, talking about something they'd been doing to build up their immunities And they were describing, which seemed very commonsensical. It wasn't a really crazy plan. It was just a scientific explanation for how zinc helps you, how vitamin D helps you, and how vitamin C helps you. And he was talking about vitamin D and then the history of pandemics. This is before this pandemic started. Uh, When you looked at the 1918 flu, one of the reasons why it hits more strong uh, in the pre-air conditioning days um, in the winter months is people were inside all the time. They didn't have as much vitamin D. It was difficult to fight off or get better quicker. All of this made sense to me. And I think, well, nowadays, with all the things we have, you can take vitamins, you can, you can watch your health, what you eat, all this stuff. 
I remember distinctly thinking in January and February, you know, this would be a good time to be a little better about those kinds of things health-wise. Then the pandemic hits in March. And I remember a little bit hearing how, you know, right away people were super scared about how things were happening with it and didn't know. And I remember thinking to myself, if I had done more in that realm, I probably wouldn't be as scared. doesn't mean I wouldn't be a little nervous, but I would be a little more confident that I'd acted on some good information, and now when it came, because it felt kind of terror, a little bit like a, a terror a bit when it first was coming, and it seemed so, so terrible and so transmissible and so forth. Uh, then I thought about just how that works in our life. It's like you know the information, but you don't act on it, and then the trouble comes, and you wish you acted on it. I would suggest to you that what we have in our hands is far, more, far better than vitamins and minerals. It's the Word of God from God to His people, the God who's created everything, who understands that whatever comes to pass, has ordained these things, has purpose for us, has purpose for you, has promises you should know, knows fully well all the things you're going to face in your life before you know them. He knows every one of them. And he gives you his word so that you can navigate them, so that when they do come, you'll be ready for them. Maybe it's in a general way just to trust God more because you don't know the details. I'm not saying he'll tell you the details, but it will tell you about God. It'll tell you about who you are to God, what we mean to him, what he promises us eternally, puts things into perspective. Does it not make sense? And I know you'll agree with this, but think about it really afresh. Does it not make sense that we would spend more personal time in it than we probably do? And I would suggest that to the degree we do that, the better we will be able to withstand or deal with or navigate whatever comes in this life. I think this is why Paul's writing the epistles to the first Christians, because they were living on earth in a fallen world, still dealing with the remnants of their own sin and all that goes with it. So a reminder from God about the gospel, continually repeated, and then some particulars about how to navigate this life would have been invaluable to those audiences, and it should be invaluable to us as well. Paul's apostolic ministry, which we have in the Word of God, displays God's determination to advance his gospel, the gospel of Christ, through his church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for your spirit who attends your word. We thank you for giving us this precious revelation about you, this means of your grace to us that feeds us and directs us and comforts us, gives us assurance It gives us what we need to know about you, about us, and about Christ. I pray that you would give each of us a renewed ambition to treasure your word and to make more time to spend in it. In whatever time we do have in it, Lord, that you would really impact our lives with what we read. Give our minds sharpness and clarity. Give us spiritual perception of what your word communicates so that we grip our hearts and our life. Lord, your determination to save us is on full display in what your word declares and what Jesus has done. Compel us to praise you and follow you as a result. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.